Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions, some good ones, some from a week ago, so apologies that it's taken us this long to ask. Uh, Cameron Williams emailed in to podcast at theextrange.co.uk. He says, uh, which advanced football stats are best for analysing and predicting player productivity? In other words, if you were asked to analyse player X, what would you first look to gauge how good they are relative to others? Nathan, I mean, you you are literally asked to uh, hmm. analyse player X, kind of what you do on side. So what advanced stats do you tend to use? It kind of means what you mean by advanced, right? Um, because if you're opening that up to like something that's like um, progressive pass distance and stuff like that, those are all very good. But if you're using advanced to sort of mean predictive, as in not what they're actually so much doing as to what you might expect them to do in the future, then expected goals and working backwards from there are really the only thing on their level all attempts at sort of um doing really clever stuff like that with defensive actions and passing actions are still falling short um and that's because you know football is a shooting game and the goals are the most important thing yeah. obviously um but it, it's just it's there are so many many more moving pieces in every other aspect of the game and you can do a lot to get around that and you can do a lot by helping with the eye test of course um but really and and you can do a lot working backwards from expected goals there are models um i've seen and i've used that are built entirely backwards from expected goals where you say okay here is the expected go- the contribution towards expected goals that this player is putting in through their tackling um I will have to find something more longer form to build what that means. That's a bit complicated. Um, but I think you get the vague idea of what I'm getting at there. Uh, the XG build-up and XG chain stuff, I'm not very big on, which is not a completely dissimilar idea. Um, but I'm, yeah, uh, I've got a lot of time for expected assists. Uh, which is oh, Opta, and th- this happened on our podcast, and I was sort of a bit too dumbfounded and confused to sort of pick up with what was going on. Expected assists used to mean um, 
like you pass to someone who takes a shot and that has an expected goal value and then you get the expected assist value and then Opta have tried to change it to this thing where every single pass could have led to a shot and therefore that has an expected assist value so they changed what used to be expected assist to expected goals assisted man it's a whole mess <laughs> um but i think looking at who passes for shots is 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 very useful i like expected assists um but really those two are are sort of the standout still and that's only really good for a handful of different roles so um what defenders are doing in terms of expected goals, what midfielders are doing in terms of expected goals. It can be useful for keepers because you work, work backwards from what we were discussing before with Lloris and post-shot expected goals and say, here's how many saves he's making or here's how many goals he's not conceding based on the quality of shots that he's facing. That can be quite useful. Um, but out, but that's that's the key stat, and, but it's also quite limited in terms of which players it's useful for. So as... Cameron has said you have to look at uh, a mosaic a mosaic <laughs> even or of, of various different stats and say here you know passing is vaguely a strength for him although his pass length maybe isn't very good he's doing it more through short passes but his defensive contribution is poor uh, but he's getting shots in good areas all that kind of stuff um it's is a combination isn't it it's interesting uh, uh Cameron makes the point about Ben Davis actually he's, he says he finds him he'd like to find a way to measure him against other left backs but appreciating that we play a different style of football to other teams and I mean he, he says that he finds Ben Davis average at best but uh he'd like to almost be able to prove that and we had a conversation last week Nathan about Mourinho gaming statistical systems with the way that he plays in terms of getting ahead in a match and then managing it in a way that means we're not fulfilling what our expected goals might have been uh, were he a different type of manager but it's it's the same for players as well right I mean I'm thinking of Aurier in particular he he must be a bit of a, a rule breaker in terms of how you gauge his performance statistically because he, whilst he's a right back by trade mm. he's not often played right back this season he's mainly been a right winger uh, for at least like 30% of the season he's been very advanced on the right and he's the, the, the aim of Aurier or our use of Aurier is to get him the ball high up the pitch and he whips in crosses he like had 117 unsuccessful crosses this this year which was just insane to me um but does that make things difficult and how how are the stats companies working to kind of create an even playing field well it goes back to that mosaic oh my god I can't say that word it goes back to that combination thing where you you have to to you don't say uh on a scale of fullback goodness Ben Davies is a six and Aurea is a 6.5 you have to say I mean yes you can start with the idea of what a fullback is meant to do and how they compare with each other but then you say okay look we look at this profile and we see that Ben Davies is pretty decent defensively and a smart and considered passer of the ball but he's not carrying the ball any distance and he's not um an, a, a very present crosser whereas Sergio Aria, um has sort of quite good um output in terms of def- active defensive actions but also makes mistakes with those actions and he's a volume attacker. He's getting in a high number of crosses that are a consistent sort of medium low quality, but eventually they pay off. And also he's a good carrier and dribbler of the ball as well. We, again, all of that, that, it, all of those things 
for both those players are present both in the data and in the eye test. Uh, final thing from Cameron is just that he references the book Moneyball by uh, Michael Lewis, is it? I want to say Michael Lewis. Yes, Michael Lewis. Um, I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie and it's awesome. Buddy, I imagine you've read Moneyball. No, I haven't read it actually because of my disdain to football statistics. No, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the, the only way to judge a player is their surname. If they got a vowel at the end of it, then they're a good footballer. <laughs> <laughs> Check out their nationality. Expected no, um, vowels. No, I, haven't, I haven't read the book. I've, um, I've, I don't know for some reason that one and soccer economics, those kind of books have have steered. I don't know, they just haven't landed on my pile at the moment. Um, I'm reading a good book at the moment regarding football, but I'll, I'll tell more about that when, I've, when I'm a bit deeper into it. Ooh. Cool. Mm. Uh, so, Tottenham Tim, who is Tim Ogin, Twitter, he says, what will the impact be of losing Ricardo and bringing in Ledley to replace him? Buddy, you touched on this earlier. Um, I'm, well, I, I, can't, I can't tell you exactly what Ricardo's done. But what I can say is the is the, we talked about goodwill and everything else by putting Ledley King alongside him, it automatically gets the fans on your side, which is always a good thing. There have been whisperings, as I mentioned, about Ledley King's impact already. Whether or not we can attribute that to to what he's done, we have to wait and see. But um, I like Ledley King, and I hope this is the start of a of a coaching of a coaching career, and I hope. He fulfills his potential and becomes goes on to be a great manager because unfortunately injuries stopped him from becoming like um, a great great footballer. But so, other than that, I don't have anything. I don't have any insight into Lily King's methods or anything like that. Sure, no, that's, that's understandable. He's he's so early in his career. Mm. Uh, he briefly did some coaching for the under 18s and he obviously took his coaching badges. But he was performing an ambassadorial role for the club for what felt like what's felt like years. Uh, so he's always been involved with Spurs. And it kind of just feels like part of the furniture. But I'm, I'm sure he's... You'd imagine that a, a, a player who was as talented as Leslie, Leslie King will be well-respected by um, by the players. And he always comes across as just the nicest man. So, so that'll help. Um, but I'm also just pleased that we're giving an opportunity to a young black coach, which is which is great. I mean, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's good news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Nathan, any insight from you? Did you know much about what... Uh, was it former Sino? Is that how you pronounce his surname? Literally no idea who he was or what he did. Um, tactical analyst, I believe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a vague idea of what tactical analysis is, uh, <laughs> but specifically, you know, <laughs> to what level and detail and importance he did it, and also, you know, Howard Ledley King may or may not perform in that role. I have no idea. I I would assume that neither Mourinho nor Levy would be the type to simply give him a job because of his relationship with the club. Yeah. I think he would, I assume fairly confidently that he would have had to have achieved that on merit of the other work that he's been doing. Um, and as you say, I think you made a great point about um, giving opportunities to black coaches, which is something that this sport is really, really failing, uh, especially in this country, but elsewhere as well, um, pretty horrifically to do. So, um, yeah, you know, and he's a Tottenham legend. So it is it's great to see, great to see that. Um but very hard to have any idea either how we expect him to do or how well he is doing down the line. We just mm. have to wait and see where he goes, you know, in a couple of years' time, I guess. Mm. 
question from Ray Guilford. He says, uh, would you discuss the possibility of Zaha? He says, selling Lamella and Lucas seems like a no-brainer to me and replacing with Zaha. He counts as homegrown and has Premier League experience, can cover Son and Kane if needed. Especially the way Jose plays at the moment, an attack of Son, Kane, Zaha looks a great way to go forward. This can blend, allow uh, Bergvine to blend slowly and share the minutes with them. Uh, what do you think, Bardi? Would, would Zaha excite you? I mean, hold up. First of all, pronunciations in this podcast are <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's not what it's not Zaha. It's Zaha. Is that what is that? That's what you were saying, Wendy. Is that correct? I I don't know how I said it. (laughs) Zaha. Self conscious now. Anyway, you were talking about Crystal Palace's Zaha. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about Zaha and um, Wilfred. Yeah, I'm leaving think... all of this in, by the way, just so you're taking a second of this out. <laughs> no, no, I think I think it's good to have that here as a as a public shaming. Exactly. <laughs> so um, Zaha fits the model of what we've been talking about: a player who can play central. He has physical attributes. He's a big chap. He can play through the middle. He can play wide. I just think the price will be the major stumbling block here. I don't think we're going to spend seventy five million pounds so, on him. He's a big chap. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's he's tall. No, he's tall. He's he is got tall. exactly. That's what I mean by a big long chap. legs. He's six foot. Wide gates. Yeah, he's he's that really tickled me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big chap. He's a big old chap. He's a big unit. <laughs> uh, he's. I, I. I don't think Zaha is quite as good as he seems from match of the day. To be honest, hmm. he's clearly very good. Clearly very good. Uh, I don't think he's the level we want to be punching. I think Bergwijn's better. Uh, certainly yeah. long term. Uh, I also don't think he's much of a Mourinho player. He doesn't work back much, so he's way more Son than Lucas. And we know that Mourinho certainly likes balance in his front three from what we've seen so far. So hmm. if you've got Son who's going to play high up on the left and not track track back a great deal he wants Lucas on the right to be doing a lot of donkey work back around the halfway line I'm not sure that Zaha would uh, be up for that to be honest um, and yeah, plus we don't need more wingers yeah, on a, on a kind of a human level, I I I feel a little bit sorry for him because yeah, man, that, he's, he's, he's stuck. He's he's properly stuck. And uh, Palace aren't a bad team; they're not very good, but they're not a bad team. I don't think they're in any danger of getting relegated. Hodgson is a is a is an effective manager, um, but I think he needs to come to a Spurs or go to Arsenal. He's not going to get like Man United, Liverpool, Everton. Go to Everton, Wilfred. Yeah, but then it just becomes. Um, What's his name? They Balassi. signed the other. Balassi becomes Balassi point two. Everton is at the moment, even under Ancelotti, is a bit of a graveyard, and I can understand why Hoiberg didn't want to go there. Yeah, you're right. He he's he's stuck. He needs to make a move, uh, and I suspect he'll be priced out of the market this summer and, and may not staying again. Yep. It's, it's, yeah, his career hasn't quite panned out the way I think he thought it would at, at one point. He got that move to Man U, and then uh, yeah. Mm. Here's what I said. I think about Zaha last summer. I said something like, every year we get linked to Zaha, every year he gets older, and every year he signs a new expensive five-year contract. Every year it's a more and more ridiculous transfer, and yet we continue to be linked with him. Uh, That was was a year ago, and it only gets more and more ridiculous. I, yeah, it's just the fact that he's he's a good player and he's at a team which he's better than. So it's it's, it's just one of those until he moves somewhere. It, it could continue to be linked until he's probably into his thirties. Yeah, yeah. Good talking point, though. Thanks, Ray, for that. Um... 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Daryl Brugink on our Facebook page, our Extra Inch Facebook page, he says, if Aurier departs and is not replaced with an attacking fullback, does that open the door to Sessegnon at left back? Or is Mourinho married to Ben Davies? Mm-hmm. Ben Davies slash Davis, sorry. Uh, what <laughs> do you think, ben. buddy? Gentle Ben. <laughs> I mean, we have seen um, Mourinho experiment with Sessegnon at left back as the kind of more attacking fullback. Um I don't know. Our friends at the Athletic did an article recently on Davy Davis's um, lack of productivity in the final third. I, I don't. I don't mind Davis. I think as a as an alternative to an attacking fullback, I think he has something, some future at the club. I think if Oria departs, I think we would definitely go into the market and sign a um, a better a better version of Oria. I saw that article because someone who has an Athletic account kindly shared it with me, uh, and. I thought it was interesting, actually. I, I really thought it was interesting to see just how much worse our output from our fullbacks is. Like, I thought it was bad. It's worse than bad. It's It's gone through the floor uh, compared to what it was when Walker and Rose were peaking. Um, and that's I don't think that's just down to the, the style of football. I think it's also the ability of the players and... As much as I think right back is an absolute huge priority, we also need to do something about left back. And if that, if, if doing something about left back is starting to give a run of games to Sessignon or Sirkin or signing another left back, then I'm all for it. Because although I think Ben Davis is a, uh, a good person and I don't think he's a terrible player, I, I said before that I think fullback should be a sword and not a shield. And I see him very much as a shield. Yeah, I think. And we need to upgrade. I think we'll see um, if Ben Davies takes the number three shirt. Then I think we're all in trouble. So that's that's how I would that's how I would yeah, judge it. Shout. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to circle back to um, another part of Cameron Williams' email because I've just noticed that it will actually make an interesting talking point. So he says most of the tactics are way over my head, but one big change seems to be keeper distribution and playing out from the back. Interestingly, this is similar to the NFL strategy of not punting and the baseball strategy of not making outs on purpose via sacrifice bunts, low percentage steals. They're all related to keeping the ball. Do you think counterattacking football is a statistically worse strategy than people thought? What do you think, Nathan? Hmm. A statistically worse strategy. Um, no. <laughs> but also, yes, um, I, there's definitely been a trend over the last decade and a half towards a more possession-focused football, away from an uncontrolled kind of football, 
or, or just not fully controlled kind of football where you have the ball and, and you attack for a bit and then and then maybe we'll have the ball and we'll have a go at it for a while. And now it's, OK, we want all of the ball all of the time. And the response to that is, OK, well, we're going to make you pay for that by defending with all 11 players and attacking behind very occasionally. And then it's okay, well, we're going to get better at preventing you from having even those two attacks through our pressing game. And then it's, well, okay, we're going to get better at winning the ball higher off your defenders and attacking into space. They will, I, we will always be stuck in this continual back and forth between the game that is more about keeping the ball and the game is that is more about allowing the opposition to have the ball. And I think that for the majority of the time, the the tactical meta will favour the team who has a little more of the ball, but it, there will always be a new tweak. There will always be a new way of counterattacking, a new development, and there will always be a relevance to parking the bus and having two attacks that lead to two shots that lead to two goals in a game. I, that's never going to go away. It's never going to be irrelevant. Mourinho will always have some tactical relevant not that he's entirely confined by just that one style of play but if we pretend that he is a caricature of himself then that would still remain relevant um and useful and a viable means of of winning maybe less and less a viable means of winning leagues but will always remain a way to win the Champions League, a way to win the FA Cup, a way to win the League Cup, a way to win, and even more so in international football, which is always on a delay and always at a disadvantage in terms of preparation time. Um, you know, we saw a a a woeful to watch, uninspiring, drab, functional Portugal side win the Euros by attacking very, very rarely <laughs> with one player. So... Um, yeah, it's never going to go away. Um, I just think that I mean, there was this, in- and I've talked about this before on the podcast as well. There was this interesting situation, I guess, maybe a year ago where it was like if Manchester City, a possession team, and Liverpool, more of a counterattack team, are the two best teams in the world, but neither are quite complete because City struggle against the very best sides in the world and Liverpool struggle to be perfectly consistent against, um, you know, Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs um, away up and down the country. Who is going to be the team to become complete? Will City get better off the ball or Liverpool get better on the ball and my my best guess would be that Guardiola would tweak his pressing game so that he turned the ball over and was ha- more happy to contest more evenly possession in the Champions League quarter and semi-finals and the Klopp would not develop a possession game and and I was wrong because Klopp has improved his team's possession and spatial occupation but he's also um found more and more ways to um, sort of synthetically create a counter-attack opportunity. And he's found the third way around it, which is to simply have two of the best crossing fullbacks in the world and just spam the ball into the box for 90 minutes. So um, what's the question? Do you think counter-attacking football is the worst strategy that people thought? Uh, it's worse than people thought, but it's certainly not bad. You 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 put me to the post with um, Liverpool. I was I was just about to reference them um, as you were talking because what I was going to say was, is it not better to be able to do everything? Like that's the that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Sure. Is that possible? Have yeah. do, have we seen well that example? 
Well, I think it's a matter of longevity. I think it's a matter of giving a coach time. And I think that's been one of the benefits that Jurgen Klopp's had. He started off with this counter-pressing style uh, and counter-attacking style and has slowly developed that over time. And, and you know, we could say that Pochettino did the same at Spurs. He, he, he changed the way he played. The difference with Pochettino is he didn't retain the press as much mm. as Klopp did. I think he paid a price for it. I, I, I was calling for it. for it for a long time, saying we've mm. got to add another string to our bow, and we did, and I think we couldn't return yes. to the way it was before. Or, or I, uh, with us, maybe it was to do with the personnel. More, well, I mean, think... Liverpool really bought well and, and supplemented their squad with uh, players who can help the possession game. We didn't, we didn't necessarily continue to build a squad that could do the things we needed to do. Um, but you could, I mean, Pochettino clearly had ideas about developing the style that. I would say the problem we have with Poch always was that he could be a bit of an ideologue and wouldn't necessarily adapt on a game-by-game basis or perhaps wasn't capable of adapting. Uh, And so we found quite often that when we came up against certain teams, Liverpool being one, that we really struggled. We really, really struggled and we had no answer to it time after time after time after time. Um, But you had an idea of what he was trying to achieve and and maybe you do have to be able to do everything. Liverpool are brilliant at counter-attacking. They're also now really good at possession-based football. And when you are a a club of a certain size that wants to win leagues, you have to be able to do a bit of both. and Man City are good at counter-attacking to a, to a degree. They're certainly well. not bad. They're, they're, they're ruthless. Um, but it's hard. Like You've only got a limited amount of time in the training pitch. You have two games, two high-level games a week to prepare for. Where do you do all that like, implementation of, of a plan? It's, it's really, really hard. So managers do end up prioritising. I mean, I, I think on this, counter-attacking comes down a lot more to intelligence of footballers. I think if you look at... Under Pochettino, we we were an exceptional counter-attacking team and generally we did that with our perhaps our slowest forwards who were Eriksen, Deli and Kane. If you take out Kane, if you take out Eriksen and Deli and then replace that with Lucas and Son or perhaps Lucas and Bergwijn who are faster than Deli and Eriksen, are they better counter-attackers? I don't think so. So I think a lot of the time counter-attacking is down to player initiative. The, um, the Bayern sure team that... Choice of pass, of course. The Bayern team, Ribery, Robin, Alabalam was uh, formidable, and uh, Mourinho's Real Madrid team was incredible counter-attacking, and they were able to take the league off Barcelona by by utilising that. Um, I do think sometimes when we talk about counter-attacking, people get a bit negative about it and think it's parking the bus. Like you wouldn't the bus parkers like Burnley, for example, they they're not counter-attacking teams. Um, I think it's a way, I think it's a, a model of playing. I don't think we should base our team primarily on counter-attacking like Leicester did when they won the league. I don't think that's a sustainable method. But um, if we do become more counter-attacking, which seems to have happened towards the end of this end of this lockdown period, then I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem with that. Of course, being a football, I, I, uh, being like, if you could pick a football team, I would love Spurs to have the ball for 99% of the game and just pass the opposition to death and, and kill them that way. But I think, like you said, the best teams are able to to marry the two together and hopefully we have we sign players and we develop a system that can get close to it. But I don't think we're going to be exceptional one way or the other like Liverpool Man City are. Good chat, boys. That was mm. uh, a very mm. philosophical 
place to end. Uh, so we're going to keep the content coming over the next few weeks. We've got the All or Nothing documentary, which we're going to talk about. We'll do some dedicated episodes on that. We've also got, hopefully in the next week or two, um, a, a joint podcast with our friends at Wheeler Dinner Radio, who are an American Spurs podcast who do a great job. Uh, we really like them. And so uh, I've spoken to Skipjack, their host, about us joining forces and doing something together. So we're hoping to set that up. That'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. Uh, but we'll we'll keep we'll keep you going content wise. Don't worry, we got you. And soon we're going to have a very very special announcement. Ho-ho. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.